Hello and welcome back to the DigiTalks podcast. As per usual, I'm your host, Natalie. And today I am joined by the very talented Gemma Wallace. With over five years of graphic design and visual communications experience working for both brands and agencies here in Adelaide, Gemma made the very bold move to go freelance full-time over 12 months ago and hasn't looked back. Now, I obviously have a little bit of a biased opinion here, but Gemma works with me and she's pretty bloody good. So I thought who else to get on to talk about the journey of a graphic designer and obviously taking the leap to going freelance. It's obviously a scary thing, right? Yeah, it's a pretty scary thing, I guess. But you know, we're out here doing it. So yeah. First of all, I would love to talk a little bit about why you got into graphic design. How did that all come about? Yeah, well, I I studied, I always studied visual arts in school, actually. I was always like a really creative kid. I was always drawing a lot when I was young. So I really loved art like all through high school. But I kind of, I think, learnt I didn't have the same side of it, sort of the conceptual side when they wanted you to like, the teachers wanted you to think really deeply about things and like, why did you paint this or why did you do that? And I didn't really like that side of it, whereas I kind was a bit more I liked the sort of I guess like reasoning side of things and then I did another subject that was like information processing or whatever they call it that was more sort of like computer-based more design kind of like concepts so I kind of just felt like that was a natural merging of the two that that way I could sort of still draw and do art kind of things I could paint or I could yeah illustrate but that way then I was kind of putting it into like an actual use as opposed to just Just creative. Yeah just like pen to paper and I wasn't really sure where that would go this kind of gave it a bit more of a purpose I suppose. And did that lead you into uni? Yes, yeah. So I went straight from high school into uni. I just sort of was like, I may as well go straight in. I was between that and journalism because, again, like I've always sort of liked, like, I guess, yeah, more creative sort of side of things. They're polar opposites. Well, I mean, I liked, like, I liked writing. So that was the thing. And, like, I always enjoyed that part of it. And, like, I'm a big reader as well. So I kind of thought, oh, maybe I'll do journalism. But I realised that I wasn't going to enjoy that if I was writing about things I didn't really care about. Totally. So I was like, oh, I wouldn't want to go and, like, write a new story about this or whatever. So yeah, yeah, so I ended up just starting on graphic design and I didn't really know what else I would do. So, and yeah, just led into that and kept going from there. What was the biggest learning from uni? And I guess what was the biggest discrepancy between uni and real life work? For sure, like the practical skills. Like uni is very, very conceptual. So even, you know, talking to people that are in first year now and talking to my, my peers that I was at uni with, like the first year you literally didn't even use a computer. So people come in, and they think like this is just completely not what I thought it would be and it like they really go back to I guess your sort of like finer skills and you know back to all the basic like concepts you know all the design concepts and everything which is such a good thing to do in terms of like building a foundation of your design knowledge but it definitely can like deter some people and then it's also not very practical so I was really lucky that as soon as I got out of uni I got a job at a little design company and they were like really really patient with me they're amazing and they kind of like actually had the time to sit down and like take me through you know this is how you set something up for print and this is how you actually will like take that you know that concept that project from you know being a project to actually being implemented like out in like the larger world I guess. Wow so you got more of that experience actually working for someone as opposed to actually doing it in uni. Yeah the technical skills is something that I think is it's sometimes really lacking but it's obviously because you know you're not getting to that stage in the design process where you're actually like launching something Mm -hmm. and you're not I guess yeah you're not setting something up for print and you're not sending something out or posting it really on social media for a company or anything like that. So you don't really get that side of it back. And if someone doesn't really like sit down and kind of teach you how to do that, it can be something that's really lacking, I think, in yeah, in your kind of skill set. Again, I'm probably a little bit biased, but I feel like you have a really good knack for branding. Tell me, do you feel like 
having an understanding of marketing and the process actually makes it easier to come up with those concepts? Yeah, I think so. So I went back and actually did postgrad marketing as well, which again, that was like... I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> read my resume now. <laughs> yeah, that was really like stripped back as well. It was very conceptual, especially because it was only a short graduate certificate. So it was going back to sort of things like really, really old like marketing theories, which were definitely, they were definitely useful. But I think, yeah, it did give me that understanding basically of like what you need to do with your with your design and that it needs to have a purpose and it needs to sell. And like it might look amazing, but if you put it out into the real world and it doesn't, you know, make sales or it doesn't communicate or it doesn't do the things that it's intended to do, it doesn't meet the brief, basically. It's, is it really a successful design? Like it might look gorgeous, but yeah, it's kind of only goes to a certain point. So I think that's where I've kind of got that understanding of approaching a brand or approaching a, a you know, a logo project or a startup. I do a lot of work with sort of smaller business startups and thinking like, okay, well, what are they trying to do? What do they need to get them off the ground? And how are they actually going to sell themselves? Especially because, you know, I've seen, especially since, you know, COVID and everything, there's so many people that have gone to that passion project and they have turned from, you know, a desk job. They want to go do something else. that's a bit more meaningful, but they need to be able to have the tools to actually to live and work and, and make money from it. Like you don't want to say that making money is the whole goal because it isn't, but you also need to, you know, put food on the table and, and you need to live that lavish lifestyle. Well, I mean, no one wants to go without, <laughs> but yeah, you're exactly right. You know, it's all well and good to chase those passion projects, but if it's not converting, so to speak, well, then yeah. you, you kind of got to ask yourself why. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, if it's someone's passion project, like you don't want even even more so you don't want to see it flop. So, you know, you want to see it actually be successful and, and set them up well. How do you approach when somebody comes to you and says, cool, like I need the whole kit and caboodle. Do you have like a bit of a process that you follow? Yeah, I think it's always just sort of like you always start obviously with the brief. So obviously talking to the client and trying to get a feel for the, the type of person that they are, what the business is, what they're intending to do, how they kind of want to be seen, how they want to market themselves. And I guess just, yeah, the overall like look and feel because a lot of the time that's, you know, really reflected in like the type of people that they are. And yeah, I suppose just getting really getting to the bottom of, of the brand itself and what that needs to look like once it's sort of like launched and off the ground. But then actually you've got the conceptual side like that, but then also being like, well, what are the lists? of deliverables like yeah what am I actually sitting down and physically putting together for them you know is it going to be mainly digital do they need things for print is it a shop front is it you know mainly online sort of just really I guess fleshing all of that out before you get started I like that you said you know what is the brand all about but I think something that we I think as all marketers we come across what if someone doesn't actually know yeah I think that's always a hard one and I think that's where you know there's only so much that you can do you're like I often am effectively I'm a department you know in yeah in their sort of in their journey of setting up a business so it's it's unfortunate but sometimes like you really can only do so much like and there's one of the things that I definitely didn't realize until I started working after uni is that like you'll work on so many project briefs that might not ever actually see the light of day and it's disappointing but it is what it is and then you know some younger designers will sometimes I think almost you know they might take offense as well and think well I did this branding project for someone and they're not using it or now they're using something different but it's not unusual for something like that you know maybe it just doesn't ever eventuate or they go a different direction or maybe Maybe they look back in on themselves and think, well, that's actually not what I I thought Mm. the brand was about this, but it actually isn't. That's really interesting. I want to just quickly go back to your journey from working with agencies and brands and kind of what made you make that leap to go freelance? Yes, I was working um, full time in another marketing role, which, you know, I really I've always loved. I've loved the marketing side of things and yeah, the selling side of things and seeing things go from obviously the design stage to being out in the real world. But I was probably in a role where I wasn't really connecting with the client 
clients and the work as much. And so once I left that role, I kind of, I kind of took a few steps back and, you know, I went back and just did some sort of hospital work, bar work, like event work. I always did freelance on the side. So, and that was something that when I got really busy, I always would be like, well, maybe I need to pause that. But I just couldn't sort of pause that because it was always like, project. <laughs> well, it was always like where you kind of got the fun projects, I guess. And you got, yeah. you know, friends coming to you that you were seeing them, yeah, put their passions into something. And you thought, well, this is a really cool project and I really want to work on it. Like I'm excited about it. So it took me a while of kind of building more of a portfolio of that type of work and those projects backed up. But yeah, then I kind of got to the point where I was like, well, you know, I've got I've got enough work here that I can be doing this. And then you also kind of have to get to the point where you cut off those other jobs that are maybe a little bit more stable so that you can focus all your time and energy into something else to make sure that it gets to like where it needs to be. Yeah. Making room for, I guess, the things that give you joy. Yeah, so to exactly. Speak. Yeah. And that's the Marie thing. Marie Kondo that shit. <laughs> well, exactly. And it's so much more rewarding as well. And it's nice when you get that, you know, that project brief from a friend and they're like, oh my God, I want to do this. Like, can you help me? And this is what we're going to do. And I think like, yes, like she, yeah, that sounds so much fun. Like I'm into it and stuff like that as well. You'll smash out so quickly and you'll do your best work because you're excited about it and you care about it. And even, you know, working with people that you're close with, you can sit back and be like, is this really them? Do I feel like this is reflective of who they are and what they want to be doing? And it's really nice as opposed to, you know, being a, a back end kind of department where, you and know, not having that connection. Yeah. Yeah. And being yeah, a bit more like back of house and you don't, you don't get to know the client on that personal level otherwise. So I think that's the thing. It, it shows in your work that you're more detached as well, that you're not sort of like getting that same connection. What's been your biggest learning since going out on your own? I mean, it's probably like a two-pronged question. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about this today and I think one of the biggest ones that I probably learned early on is that it's just as important to learn what doesn't work as it is to learn what does. I love that. Yeah, well, I think like especially, you know, when I was in when I was in studios where they had a little bit more time to give, a bit more learning to give and, you know, you'd get to almost the end of a project and you'd kind of sit back and they'd be like, I know we've put, you know, weeks of work into this, but it's just not working. It's just not meeting the brief. And then, you know, you'd have to step back and you'd have to, I guess, approach it in a different way. And that's where you had the really good work would come together. So even though it feels sometimes at the time, like, like oh my God, I've just wasted like six weeks working on this and now we're scrapping the whole thing, which can be hard, you know, it's... It can be deflating. Yeah, definitely. But then you kind of, what you do end up with works in a much better way. And you're like, well, we wouldn't have got to this if we didn't learn that the other one wasn't going to work for these reasons. Yeah. And if something doesn't work, you're going to find out eventually. It's going to it's gonna come out that you're like, this isn't going how we need to be or you need to go back and fix something. So always. I feel like graphic design, because it is such a creative thing, it can be quite a personal yeah, thing. And I absolutely. obviously, you know, I've worked with a lot of graphic designers in my time and I do feel like every Everyone kind of has a little bit of a style, yeah. so to speak. How do you find stepping back, like you said before, and actually being able to subjectively look at something and go, cool, yeah, obviously I've got an emotional attachment to it yeah. because it's my work on the page, but is it meeting the brief? Is it doing what it needs to do? Yeah. Oh, that's so hard. Like I think, yeah, sometimes you do, especially like I think when you're first starting out and even at uni and things as well, you get excited about something and you do it. You're like, oh, I love it. It looks so cool. And then like they'll be like, this just isn't it. Like it's not, it's not meeting the brief. It's not here. And like it does, especially I think when it's, so attached to your your skill set and like especially being creative and things as well I used to I think take a lot more offense to it I was like oh my gosh like they, they, they hate, hate my work oh, they hate my drawings <laughs> or they hate my painting or they hate you know this or this but I think yeah you you eventually just learn that like you're effectively you know when you're working with lots of different brands like you're putting on all these kind of different hats and it can be really fun to step in and be like all right if I'm this brand would I do this would I look like this would I approach it like this and so I think that's where you can kind of step back a little bit and be like even though I think it looks really cool or it's very on trend or it's this it's not really you know lining up with the brand and their their values 
And is it going to work for them in the long term? Are they yeah. going to have, like you said, you know, if it's something trendy, they're going to have to rebrand in six months, 12 months? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, some things can be on trend as well. Like sometimes you'll get things that are made for the short term and they just need to look cool. They need to look good now. They need to just like make sales fast and then be done with it. And that's where like that can also be fun. There's room for that where you're like, you know, hell yeah, this will look really cool. We'll use this cool font that everyone's using at the moment or these colors that are really in. And there's always like room for that, which I like, you know, you can bring that in as well. But then there's always other projects where you think like this needs to stand, stand the test of time a little bit longer. Let's talk about the briefing process a little bit more because I feel like that's probably the biggest thing across the board, no matter what discipline you're in, in a marketing sense. This is where a lot of people don't spend enough time, I think, in really working out what the client needs or what the project needs to be able to actually deliver effectively. And I think, again, from a graphic design perspective, and I know that we've come across this before, client will say, or, you know, the project will say, you've got complete creative freedom. Yeah, I think that's... I need more. Yeah, it's hard. And it's it's nice when they say that, but you... Creative freedom never actually means creative freedom. Like no. you have to think, you know, even though they might say, you'd be like, okay, well, we're operating within the parameters of the style guide and within this brand and what I've seen them do before and what I know they would hate. And, you know, you obviously have that advantage when you work closer with a brand and you've worked with them for a little bit longer. Yeah. And you're like, well, I know they're really conservative, so they wouldn't want me to try this or, yeah. you know. They... We're not going to go too outside the box. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's half of it is really just getting to know almost like the personality behind, yeah, the, the business and the brand. And then you do also kind of learn the people that like, if they act like they don't know or they're like, you know, it's full kind of creative freedom, you can do whatever you want. You know, you kind of like, no, I need to press you more because I'll yeah. ask you these questions. I'll be like, yeah, but do you want it to look like this? And they're like, oh, actually, yeah. Or, you know, the people that are more visual. So you kind of can't show them anything until it's in a more complete phase. Yeah. So, yeah. I think they can't like, visualize. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just always like... It's just always a learning curve with everyone. Like every day you learn different things that you think like, all right, I'll take note of that for for next time when we come back to this. Or yeah, it's always just every day you kind of like build on that a little bit more and you think I'll make sure to ask this or ask that because last time we we got a bit lost. But yeah. I find it really interesting that, you know, obviously you are talking about the importance of having the connection with the client or, you know, with the particular project and really understanding. I feel like it's a bit of emotional intelligence to know when is the right time to ask more questions and to get a little bit deeper. I think because it is something that is subjective, how are you going to know if someone's going to actually like something? It does pay to take that time yeah, and to I get th- to know them. I think that's also a massive thing is like, I have definitely been, you know, on the end of that where you're really scared to ask questions, especially when you're you're younger or you don't really know, you know, you're new in a workplace or you're new to working with someone. But it's like, if you're not sure, it's going to be way quicker for you to pick up the phone or send a quick email and be like, hey, just to bounce this off you, like, do you think we should do this or do you want it this way or this way? Because I've learned myself, you know, you'll get really far down the track in the work that you've done and then, you know, you'll you'll show it to someone and they're like, it's just nothing Not like it. what I pictured. And that's also, I guess, a bit of a danger of it is that what you're picturing can be very different to what someone else is picturing. So even though on paper, you know, it meets the brief, they both meet the brief, but it's, you know it's a totally different thing. Well, my interpretation of the brief and your interpretation of the brief are two yeah. very different things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, never be afraid to ask questions. I think that's the biggest thing. As a graduate graphic designer coming out of uni, not really sure if I want to focus on digital or if I want to focus on more print and traditional. What's your best advice for someone really trying to work out where they're best positioned? I think just try as much as you can because even like I did package design as a as an elective at uni and I was so excited for this package design course. I did it as an intensive and I was like, oh my God, like uni holidays will be every day. We'll be making stuff and it's going to be an actual thing. And then I started it and I was like, I hate this so much. Like, really? I am as soon as something's 3D, I think my mind just kind of switches off. (laughs) 
So I was a little bit like, I mean, I can, I like it when it's things like, you know, like labeling and things that are a little bit, I guess, simpler or, you know, things that I connect with a little bit more, like a good wine label or a good gin label. But it was, you know, putting net boxes and stuff together and my brain just didn't work that way. Yeah. Like I didn't really comprehend it. And that was really like valuable to learn or I've had other projects that I've taken on and I've thought like, why was this so hard, you know, a logo project for this type of company or whatever. And then you kind of, yeah, again, you learn, you're like, it just doesn't really work for me. So I think it's just like, don't ever pigeonhole yourself and don't come out of uni and think like, I just want to do this. Like I just want to be doing branding or I just want to be doing like digital and social or web design or something. Cause yeah, you might try something else. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I actually really like that. Or, you know, there's different types of design that are even, you know, just becoming new and needed every day. So, you know, there's top jobs when you go into uni and when you come out of uni, it's a completely different sort of like type of design that's needed that everyone wants to be doing. So always just being open to, to new projects. I think that's really good advice. And I think that kind of goes for most disciplines as well. You know, you, you don't know until you try it, right? Yeah, exactly. How do you feel like, I guess, the design landscape has changed since you did finish uni? Because I mean, obviously, digital has evolved as a designer. Has that put more pressure on you to be able to skill up in those areas? Yeah, I think that's like, that's a really good point because you don't really learn a lot about sort of social media stuff. And I think that would be a good thing, you know, to see more of happening in, in uni. I even was talking to someone I was working with the other day and he had said in a previous role where he was hiring graduates or hiring, you know, someone for a junior designer position. And he's like, you can look at their folio and you know where they've gone to uni because it's all fair enough. You know, it's all kind of like, you've all got the same briefs in uni and whatever, but they have been the same for ages. So yeah, like, totally. you'll look back at it and you're like, oh yeah, there's, you know, there's the book design project and the wine label project yeah. <laughs> and it's hard because yeah I mean yeah it's just so different now and there's so much more you know need for things just being like up I guess instantly especially with social media so I think that's one thing that you know you don't I guess learn a lot of at uni is managing those time frames of like how much time you actually have to spend on spend on something versus when it has to be up and up and running and look you know the thing with social is it's very agile we need to be able to respond very quickly and you know if we do need that graphic we've probably got sometimes less than 24 hours to get it done and I think you know that's where the importance of having that very clear set of templates from a social perspective around this is what your brand looks like these are like the five versions that we kind of run with this is what we're going for on that one it is a confidence thing in your skills as well like sometimes sitting back and thinking like we need to get this graphic out and like look using reference guides like looking at your style guide looking at what you've done before but thinking like you know has it got enough contrast is everything aligned just going back to those really basic design principles and looking at it and being like you know I haven't spent hours and hours on this and it doesn't have heaps and heaps of you know concept work or whatever behind it doesn't need to yeah that's the thing like it's good it's ready to go it's going to be up there and it's going to do the job it needs to do so just making sure that you don't kind of like I guess fuss over it for too long exactly because I think we're all our own worst enemy and the more you look at something the more you're like, I need to change it or I need yeah, more absolutely. work. And yeah, when it comes to social, you just don't have that luxury. And that's the thing with design and like art and stuff as well. Like it's never, when is it done? You know, it's kind of how long is a piece of string? You can keep working on it. You can keep doing so many things to it and changing it. 100%. But you've got to get to that point where you're like, this is where it's at. It's meeting the brief. Yeah. It looks good. It's got to be done. And you don't have the time to, to fuss over it for too long either. No. And, and not when budgets are tight as well. Exactly. I mean, you've got to work within those restraints. And I really want to talk about this with you because I know that we've had this conversation before as well, but let's talk about Canva. Oh, yes. <laughs> because the My reality favorite is... Canva. Right. Everyone has Canva now. Everyone's a graphic designer. Everyone gets super excited. And look, hey, I use it when I need something done really quickly and I can do it myself. Of course, I'm going to do that but otherwise I'm going to use you. But, you know, how has that kind of impacted your role and your place as a graphic designer? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I think like Canva has its place and, you know, it's their templates that it's very limiting in what you can do with the template and what, you know, is within the scope of Canva. People just need to, you just need to be aware of like where you can use it and where you can't. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, it's put in place so that people that don't know design, like they can't, they basically can't fuck it up too much. Um, and that's the thing where it's like, that's kind of a nice thing to have in there of like, you're like, you know, you need something ready to go when you do need to put up a promo or you need to get something online just so that you can like reach your audience as soon as possible but you know then you have people that come to you and they're like I want you to design like this but then I want it designed in Canva and I'm like well that doesn't that's not what you do (laughs) yeah it doesn't really work like that and then it's also just being aware of like what your money's getting you and what you're paying for you know are you getting a template that's available online to anyone that pays you know either nothing or their fee monthly and you know it's going to be done and it's going to look like you know maybe a lot of other people's and it's just yeah, there and ready to go. Or do you want to go to someone that you've spent time with that knows your brand that's helped you build out a style guide, build out a unique set of graphics that's unique to you and your brand and your needs and stuff as well. So that obviously is going to cost you more money, but it's more catered to you. And you've also got that, you know, wealth of knowledge from your designer behind it. So it's all just, I guess, value for money and realizing, you know, where, where you want to spend that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think you're exactly right. You know, when it comes to Canva, yes, it's great to have that really quick accessible when you do need it, but you've got to have a reference and a brand kit from a style point of view. You know, you can't be using 10 different fonts. You can't be using different colors because you feel like it. And how many times have you scrolled through Instagram and you go, Canva template, Canva template, Canva template, like as consumers, and I think as social media users now, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. And I think that's so hard as well. Like, it's such a good point with the style guide because I really try to, whenever I do a brand project or anything like that, I'm like, well, my absolute minimum is that I want to give you the tools to go forward for your brand. So like I will always include, even if it's two pages, like you'll always get a style guide. You'll always get all of your different, you know, logo versions and everything. I want you to know what your colors are. I want you to know what your fonts are. I want you to stick to them. But then, you know, you get those people that will come to you and they're like, all right, so if we strip out the style guide, if I don't pay for this, I just get one, you know, PNG logo file can you just pay you like a hundred bucks and we'll be done? I'm like, no. No. (laughs) And that's the thing. I mean, I just know that that person's going to go and take their work to somewhere else or they're going to take their logo and they're going to say, hey, we want our logo up on a billboard. Can you do this? And, you know, the person doing it will turn around and be like, all right, send me your logo files. Send me your vector files. I need this. And they're like, well, what's a vector file? I've got one PNG. It's 150 pixels wide. (laughs) Make it work. I don't think people understand that you can't have those elements in isolation. And I think that goes with... again, a number of different disciplines. We can't do XYZ without ABC. Yeah, exactly. We actually can't only do part of the job because in order for us to actually complete the creative process, we need to do all of the other things. And that's the thing, like you might not get it done and you might not pay for it now, but eventually down the track, someone else is going to have to recreate it. Like the amount of times we'll have like, okay, well, can we recreate their logo? So we have their vector files. And so we have, you know, we'll make a little style guide or something for them. So they have that. It's always going to be needed at some point. So it's just like, we may as well do it at the start. Do it properly in the first place. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really, really important. You did touch on this earlier about, you know, not pigeonholing yourself as a designer and not really kind of narrowing your field. But do you feel like there's value in having a little bit of a niche to a degree as you go out on your own or even working within an agency? I think for sure. I think there's definitely a lot of designers and artists and stuff out there that people will seek them out for their work. But it's also really important that, you know, especially when you're you're young or you're just leaving uni, that you really get the basics and everything down pat. It's like you want to be really, really good at what you do and then you can build out that niche. Then you can kind of, because then you know if someone comes to you, they're like, well, we want you to do these really cool illustrations and stuff that you do, but can you set it up on like a grid and a document and we need all these extra kind of things. If you don't know how to do that, then 
you know, it's kind of the rest of it's a little bit obsolete. So that's where I suppose that's when you can find your your niche. It's probably not something that you'd really, you're ever really encouraged to do when Mm. you first sort of leave uni. But that being said as well, like if there's something, you know, there's a type of illustration that you love or whatever, still be doing that because you always need to feed back into like your passion and your creativity. And there eventually will be people that will seek you out for that style. You know, it's hard. It's not going to be, not everyone's going to want that same style, but you will get people that will think, you know, hey, I love this work that you do and I really want, this is going to transfer really well to my brand. Can you do this for me? So it's definitely, there is so much value in it. The reason I ask is I think that social media has really changed the way that um, creatives across all different um, areas will present their work. And I think that's where we start talking about people seeking people out because of their style. And I guess Instagram basically has become a digital portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, you see that so much. And, you know, people will come to me and they'll be like, well, you know, you're not very active on Instagram and you don't post heaps. I'm like, well, I'm kind of not. You see some designers that they're really like a, a marketable designer in that they're posting tips and tricks and this and and that's their brand, I guess. Whereas there's so many people that will find me from Instagram and it's, they kind of, they go looking for you as opposed to I found Gemma on Instagram. Yes, there you go. (laughs) But that's the thing. And then, you know, you can see like your most kind of important work, like straight off the bat or even things that aren't necessarily a portfolio piece, but something that you've done that's really cool. Mm. There's so much value in it. But, you know, if I was posting random like tips and tricks and stuff all the time, it'd be awesome if that's the kind of audience that I wanted to reach. But if someone, you know, like yourself, like you're coming to looking, you're coming and looking for a designer and then you think, oh, this is all that I need to see, like straight off the bat in the, in the first kind of, you know, squares on the grid. Yeah. That's, that's really valuable. And I wouldn't want to dilute that with other stuff. That's not what you're looking for. Totally. And I think, you know, it's, 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 it's good you say that because I think we are so caught up within, within a lot of industries that we have to be educational on Instagram. Not necessarily. Like work out what your purpose is. Work out what your place is on on that platform in particular. And yeah. I do, I really like the fact that, you know, when I found you, I got a really clear picture straight away of what your style is. Will it work with my business? Will it work with my range of clients? Yep, cool. Let's catch up. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I've looked at a lot of other graphic designers, Instagram accounts before. And like you say, you know, it can get diluted with trying to be educational, posting reels. I don't really want to see that. Yeah. Now, obviously, it totally comes down to your personal brand. If that's what you want to do and that's how you want to present yourself, totally cool. But I need to be able to get a feel for who you are and what you do. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time as well, like, there is so much value in those people doing that, but they're probably also the type of people that are doing a lot more educational kind of things. And, you know, maybe they're the ones that are on your your online, like Adobe, like learning and things like that. And they're coming along to talks and doing things that are more, I suppose, connecting on that level, which is so awesome. And, you know, I, I myself have learned so many things from people like that. So there's so much value in doing those different things. But yeah, I guess that's it. If you're kind of looking for a designer that you want to come on for a project or you want a certain type of type of work or illustration or something, you know, you want to be able to to find that, I guess, that content really quick and see if that person can meet your brief and, you know, do do what you need them to do. Honestly, like I would say my biggest piece of advice, and obviously I'm not a graphic designer, but my biggest piece of advice for any graduate graphic designers or anyone who's early in their career, build up an Instagram portfolio. Even if it's a separate account from your normal account, just have something so that people can easily find you. So you do have that digital reference point. I think a lot of people now, again, I could be wrong, but reaching out to people and saying, hey, can I see your portfolio? That's kind of like, think about the sales process, right? I want to vet you first. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, exactly. And that's where as well, I think it's it can be such an advantage as well, because you can have people that they might think like, I don't have a lot of work to show online, but I really want to get jobs, you know, doing, you know, wine labels, or I want to do more jobs that are certain types of yeah illustration with certain things. Like the beauty of design, and especially when you're just out of uni, is that there's no reason you can't be making up a brief for yourself or doing concept work yourself and then putting that out there. I think, you know, I come from a family where everyone works in health and I always like, joke to my mum and sister that they're nurses and if they couldn't get a job nursing they can't still just go out and offer free healthcare. whereas I can still like (laughs) whereas I can still like sit at home I can still draw I can still you know recognize a problem in something and think okay if I was going to solve this what would I do how would I put it together and that's where like it's almost kind of like manifesting I guess your own the type of work that you want to see come back in so if you start posting wine labels that you've come up with yourself or or logos that you've come up with yourself for conceptual brands or all this kind of stuff you're going to get people that like yourself that you come across that and you think I need someone to do this. I can see that this person can do it. Maybe they haven't completely rolled it out to the finished product yet, but I can see that the concept is there and I can see that they're capable of that and I like what they're doing. Exactly right. I think as you put things out, call it the universe, call it whatever you want, but the reality is with social media, the more types of work you put out, you're going to get more inquiry for that particular thing because it's what people can see. It's accessible. Yeah, and I think that's why as well, sometimes I'll think like I'll finish off a project and I'm like, oh wow, I kind of, I struggle with that and maybe that's not really my forte or what I want to do a lot more of. So I think like, well, I'm probably not going to post that one, even though I like it. You know, if you've got an electrician and you do a logo for an electrician and you post it, you're probably going to get a lot more electricians coming back in saying like, hey, I I really like what you did. Can you do a logo for for my electrician, my my, my trade, you know? That is how you kind of pigeonhole yourself. And you think when you're at that point where you're like, I don't really want to take this project, but I do need the money. And then it just kind of keeps going around in a circle a little bit. I do really want to talk about, you mentioned earlier and you just said it again then too, about taking on projects that resonate with you personally. I do feel like in a creative space, if you don't feel a connection to something, that will come through. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, I've been guilty of that before as well. When I've finished something and I thought, good enough. I just don't care about this project anymore. I'm so over it. It's really like taking a lot of time and a lot of creative energy to get there. That shows. And I think the client can see that as well. I've been in jobs where they've seen that too. And I'll sit there and I think you're always the most critical person of your work. So I'll sit there and like, even, you know, I would be presenting something at uni and I'd think, oh my God, just don't give me feedback because I hate it. And I already know. And you almost don't want to hear that, but you're so hyper aware of it as well. Whereas if you really connect with the brand and you think like, I love this brand or, you know, it's a gin drink that I drink on the weekend and I I love it and I want to show how great it is and that yeah they can pick up on that yeah so it's definitely yeah you want someone else that's and you want someone working on your brand that believes in your brand too a hundred percent how would you find overcoming that though if you are working for someone else I think you know particularly and now obviously I'm not a graphic designer but working in a business whether it's in-house or at an agency and something comes across your desk you don't have the luxury of saying "Mm, actually no this doesn't align with me Yeah. How do you tackle that? I mean, yeah, that happens a lot. I think that's something that I'm definitely still learning, but it really does come down to your your energy and I guess almost budgeting your creative energy because you can sit down and think like I love this project and it's gonna I'm gonna smash it out in a second because I know the brief and I know it really well and then I've got this one that I don't know so well and you've got to kind of figure out how you're going to tackle that or think like well I need to put 
more time and more energy into this because that's what's going to need it. And you just really have to like kind of sit down and force yourself. Starting is always the hardest part. But once you get going, then you kind of, you do pick up on parts of it. You're like, I I resonate with this or I know why this needs to work in this way. And I'm, I'm understanding that. You don't have to like it, but if it has to be done, it has to be done. So it's definitely just knowing like I need to dedicate way more of my energy into this project so that I can get it to the point where it needs to be. It's going to be a bit harder, but it just needs to have that time as opposed to, I guess, like the fun ones that you're going to finish in, you know, in a couple of hours. I love that you talk about budgeting energy because I think the creative energy is something that has come up in quite a few conversations that I've had. And, you know, obviously I feel it as well on a daily basis. And, you know, it's not the kind of thing you can just switch on or off. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been a big thing in the last couple of years, especially, yeah, since going or since going freelance, trying to figure out how do you budget that energy? Because obviously you're trying to give time for a whole lot of different projects and a lot of different clients. And you're thinking, how am I going to be able to come up with lots of ideas? And there's always been that time maybe where you're in like a meeting with someone and they're sitting there and they're like, I can tell you this. And I'm sure you just have so many ideas that you want to try. And I'm like, (laughs) I haven't got any ideas, not even one. But I think that's where you just come back to, again, like the, you know, your design principles, you go back to like, you're learning what you've, you're you're training, your your history and your skill set and other projects and things you've worked on. You might think, okay, I've worked on something like this previously. How did I tackle that? And how did I get to that point? So it's really hard. <laughs> but you get there, you kind of learn, and then you just, I guess, yeah, put the energy where it needs it the most. Over time, have you found that there's like a certain time of the day or a certain part of the week that you are at your best? Yeah, I think definitely midweek. I'm definitely like back into the swing of it. I'm like, used- God, I have you on Wednesdays. Oh, <laughs> well, you have me on Mondays too, and I'm useless on a Monday. It doesn't matter what I've done on the weekend. My brain is just, it takes a bit to kick back in. But yeah, it, it can take a lot. I definitely, in the mornings as well, if I have that bigger project that I think this is going to need more energy, more kind of time, then I definitely need to smash it out in the morning. Like once I've, I've had my coffee, I've sat down, I've got my workspace sorted. I think I'll get this done. And then I've got other things, you know, towards towards the end of the day. Or even I've found now lately, I'm doing a lot more sort of work like later at night where I just need to, it just needs my time. It doesn't need, I don't need anyone to interrupt me or do anything I I need and that's when you know if you're working later at night you're working you know 9 10 11 no one's going to be emailing you no one's going to be calling you people are actually going to leave you alone and you just need to get the bulk of that work done and that's kind of a good time for that as well so it's almost like yeah I guess budgeting that energy but also realizing like what time I should be doing this and when can I smash this project out the most and yeah that's exactly right and that's why I wanted to ask you that because again it has come up with a few people and I think you know again as humans, not even as creatives, but we all thrive at different times, right? Like some people are not morning people. You can't force them to be. Yeah. If they work better at night, cool. As long as the work gets done, does, does it really matter? Yeah. And I think that's again where it comes in. You know, I love the flexibility of freelancing where obviously I've got a couple of days that I work in house and I need to kind of be there and be present. And that's where you have your meetings and things that need to be done face to face. But outside of that, being able to be like, well, hey, as long as the work gets done, it doesn't matter if you don't do it within nine to five, because if you can only fit in something that's going to give you more energy, like say you go to a, a Pilates class or a yoga class or something, you can only fit that in in the middle of the day, but that's going to make you feel better. And you know, that's your time taken away from working but then you come back and you're in even better spirits. You're in a, you're more energized. That's really valuable as well. And you can't really just be like leaving the office in the middle of the day. Like, see you guys, I'm going to yoga. I'll be back. No, well, it's frowned upon. And I think it's crazy. Like even given all of the working from home stuff that obviously we've encountered in the last couple of years, people have been doing that and they're, they're more efficient. 
Yeah. So I, why why is that not acceptable? I think it's just so like it comes down to being, I guess, very traditional. It's the way things have always been done. People are used to it. It's, you know, our whole society kind of operates around this working from nine to five as well. It's Monday when, to Friday. Yeah, well, it's when everything's open. So it makes sense. But people work in different ways, like you've said. So if people, you know, are going to get the work done late at night and it's going to be a better quality and it's going to not be really drawn out of them if they can't do it first thing in the morning, then I think, yeah, you've really got to have that, that flexibility and that allowance for that as well. I mean, we've even had it in the office sometimes, you know, you're looking at something and it's like, this is just not, it's just not going to happen today. Yeah. And that's okay. And I think that's where it gets really challenging to set deadlines as well, because you can say, cool, yeah, I'll have this to you end of the week. I can't promise that. Yeah. And that's, I do definitely procrastinate with some things like that. I think I'll come back to this and it'll be fine. But I think it's also knowing, again, if you only have a certain amount of time on something and thinking I'm sitting here and this is just not happening, like stepping away from that task and going to something else that will give you a little bit more momentum and then coming back. So Rather that way, than sitting, staring at a blank page. Yeah, because also you don't really have the time to do that. No. So yeah, it can be hard. Like go and do something that you're going to like smash out. You're at least kind of ticking something else off the list that way as well. I like that you touched on going, you know, going to Pilates during the day if that's what kind of fills your cup a little bit. And it's I find it really interesting. Obviously, that is a luxury of being a freelancer to a degree or, you know, even as a business owner, I could do that. I don't do it because I'm lazy. But people just expect us to be working all the time. And there is this, I guess, this entrepreneurial mindset that we have to hustle and we have to work extra hard because we're working for ourselves. But I really want to see that narrative flipped a little bit because, well, actually, no, I I can work smarter, not harder. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree with that. And, you know, I think there's so much value in stepping away from something and thinking, I'm actually not getting anywhere with this. And that's half the time, that's where you get your best ideas. Like you said earlier, you'll jump in, you're like, oh my God, I just thought of this while I was in the shower. Like you'll leave something and something will come to you while you're doing a completely different task. It's because your brain needs to, needs to reset. You need that time away. You need to be able to think like, I'm actually ignoring this for a bit. And then you come back and you can't work till you're completely burnt out. There's just no way it's just never, it's ever going to work when you yeah, are constantly pulling. And staring at a screen isn't going to get you anywhere either. No, definitely not. Gemma, thank you so much for your time. I feel like this has been really insightful. I feel like I say that every week, but <laughs> I love that you have had the guts, A, to go out and freelance and do the work that really fills your cup. And I think that definitely shows in the quality of your work. Oh, well, thank um, you. Again, I'm probably biased, but she's amazing. As always, join the Facebook group Digitalks if you have any questions for myself or Gemma, or if you have any feedback or anything you want to see in future episodes, please drop us a line. But thank you again, Gemma, for your time and I look forward to speaking with you all next week.